0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the Press Box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it. And they're delicious.
1: I got to get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I got to get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas.
0: You got the uh, chicken nuggets this morning? I did. You did? Chicken minis. (laughs) They're delicious. They're top three fast food item of all time. Do
1: you think the people at Chick-fil-A know you?
0: Well, when I go to breakfast, I go to the one over here by the station. I don't go to the same one I normally go to by my house. So You go all the way down to Sahara? No, no, no. There's one right on Flamingo on the other side of the... uh, Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. like two minutes away. So, yeah. So they probably don't know me yet. Yet? Yeah. But they just opened. They've only been open for like a few months. But give it a few more months and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is.
1: And then what about the one near your house?
0: Uh, they did when they still delivered. I told you Chick-fil-A used to have their own employees delivered. During stopped the pandemic. That. Yeah, they stopped that. And now it's like through DoorDash. So now it's a DoorDash driver that brings yeah, so my this food. this could be so anybody. I'm pretty sure all the people that worked there that were delivering knew exactly who we were. But now <sighs> it's DoorDash. Who the hell are these people? Does the know.
1: fiance like this as much as you?
0: Uh, not as much, but yes. Like, she likes it. She's perfectly fine eating Chick-fil-A all the time.
1: She'll take uh, the nuggets
0: in the morning? Uh, yeah. I think she likes the chicken biscuit better than the chicken minis, but they're both good. <laughs> it's delicious. Oh, it's great. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Between chicken minis, and that that and the McGriddles from McDonald's. We've had this conversation. I know you've never had one. But, no. Yeah. The the syrup is inside the pancake breading. It's unbelievable. Whoever Look came at Danny up with shaking that, his head in yeah. approving. Danny knows what's up. That is one of like three things I'll eat from McDonald's, oh. but it's got to be the spicy chicken McGriddle. Yeah, I won't it. eat the regular. Yeah, they do a chicken one. It's great. Whoever decided to put syrup in the pancake breading is a genius. It's one of the greatest inventions. Wait, it
1: has chicken on it?
0: So it's a breakfast sandwich, and okay. they'll do one with chicken, ah. or you can get it with bacon, egg, and cheese, or sausage, or whatever. But, but the pancake's know. with it no matter what. The yeah, pan- the pancake is bun. the bread. like the Instead of like the, the bread. Muffin, right. muffin bread, it's a little mini pancake. It's amazing. It's incredible. We better
1: go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first bite. How much money is Las Vegas going to give the A's?
1: This was... Uh, uh, Mick Akers came out with a story, I think, over the weekend uh, about uh, uh Steve Hill insinuating that there could be public, public money, money towards a ballpark for the uh, A's to move here. And I guess I shouldn't be stunned, right? I guess I shouldn't be stunned that all of a sudden we haven't heard anything about public money. Well, we've heard public-private p- partnership from Covel, from Dave Cavill, but we didn't know where it was coming from. So I guess I shouldn't be stunned that Steve Hill now says there might be public money
0: available for this. So there's a couple of things about this story that I found to be odd or not really understanding where everything's going or coming from. When Steve Hill, his quote was, I don't think it's really the right use of room tax, suggesting that we're not going to add more room tax like they did for the Raiders to give to the A's. But I do think there's some methods to make a contribution that probably could and do make sense. Steve Hill is with the LVC now, right? He was one of the in guys. Charge. Yeah, he was one of the guys that helped get the Raiders public funding. He was yes. at he was like one of the lead guys in all those meetings to say, hey, this would be a great idea to give the Raiders $750 million. He parlayed that into a job with the LVC VA where he is the guy at the LVC VA. The part of the part of me that's sort of confused here is one, the LVCVA gives money to sporting stuff all All the the time, time. right? They gave the, the aviators $80,000 a year for 10 years. They give the mountain West tournament money. They give, they're given F one, like 19 million or something like that. They give the rodeo a bunch, like they give money, but I believe the LVCVA's budget is roughly $200 million a year. The LVCVA is not all of a sudden going to have $500 million to give the A's. To build this ballpark. So this money is not going to come from the LVCVA unless something crazy happens. So when the head of the LVCVA says, yeah, there's public money. What public money is he talking about? Like, where is this coming from? Because again, the LVCVA can give public money, but not like if the LVCVA offered the A's $50 million. That's nothing to to a major league. Like they were going to laugh at Las Vegas. So. When the guy in charge of the LVCVA says that, I kind of sit back and say, well, it doesn't really matter what he says because he's not the one that's in charge of increasing a room tax or whatever other taxes they would do. But I have to imagine he has talked to Steve Sisolak or Clark County commissioners or legislature. I have to imagine he's talked to somebody for him to come out and say this, even though he's not the one that would specifically give it. So, yeah, that part I of just- it. Was a bit confusing, and also when he says not room tax, but there's other things that could make sense. What other things? No what idea. are we taxing? Because if it's not room tax, are we doing the, the only the only type of tax we we've, we've had two types of taxes. One was a finance uh, a district where wherever the A's build their ballpark, any of the taxes that are charged to that ballpark instead of going to the city or the county would just go straight back to the A's, which is. If you do that in a public setting, it's stupid because the public is just giving up free tax money right. that they would be getting. But that's one way. The only other um, type that we've heard was when Dave kaval last year mentioned maybe a rental car rental tax. Rental car tax, yeah. So maybe there's a rental car tax. I don't know. Would a rental car tax be able to generate $700 million, whatever? Because that, that's the other part of this that's key. Is Las Vegas about to offer the A's like $200 million? Because they probably aren't going to take $200 million to come build a billion-dollar right. ballpark. You're probably going to have to offer them $500, 700000000 million. And if you do a rental car or whatever, I, is there five or $700 million in that? I, I don't know, but that's another key detail in this is how much money are we willing to give them, if any at all at this point.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, when he said all this, I tried to there's just so many things, like you said, this could be. Um, I think you and I have been on the same side of no public money for this ballpark. Uh, and I'd love to know how much he's talking about, because you, you're right. I mean, they're trying to get what are they trying to get up in Oakland? Eight hundred million. It's nine nine or something like that. So they're going to come here for a couple hundred. No, and there's no chance. <laughs> There's no chance they're going to do that. So I'd love to know what Steve Hill was talking about in terms of trying to get public money or he thinks that there's ways to do this to build this ballpark for the A's. I, until I know more, I'll stand on the side of I don't think public money should go towards this. I don't either. And, until yeah. until it becomes more clear, until the, it, it, you know, it's clarified and you say, okay, well, I still don't think I'll, I'll say it makes sense to give them public money, but I'd like to know what he's talking about.
0: Right. I, and until there's... More detail like this certainly raised my eyebrows when I read Steve Hill saying, well, we could figure out other ways to give them public money, because, again, Steve Hill was leading the charge and saying, here's why we should give the Raiders seven hundred and fifty million dollars. So he's he's somebody that's done this before, and he's in a position of power, though, not the position of power that would decide if the A's get public money. But still, it's somebody that you at least pay attention to what they're saying. So that raised my eyebrows, even if it's still not many details. And ultimately, we're not getting the A's unless we give them public money. The other part of Mick's story on this that I found fascinating was that Dave Covel did not comment. Dave Covel is the president of the A's. Dave Covel has come to Las Vegas like 37 times in the last year and a half. And every single time he comes here, he talks. He talks. He came on this. So he reached out to you and was like, hey, we want to come on the radio there. He wants to talk because the entire purpose of Dave Cobble coming to Las Vegas is to use us as leverage to get money out of Oakland. So every time he comes, he talks. He wants people to know he's in Las Vegas. He wants people to know I'm looking at stadium sites, whatever it is he's doing, because it's leverage for him to come to Vegas for Steve Hill to give this quote and then Dave Cobble not comment. Was very weird, and according to the story, sources told Mick that Cavill didn't want to talk to the media because he doesn't want to negotiate publicly. First off, he's been negotiating publicly—that's all he's ever done. The entire time, that's all he's ever done. Is that? And second off, negotiate what? Right. Has he been given an offer already of how much money he's going well, to get? Well, I
1: wonder if this is set up, and he knew and he knew Hill was going to talk, and he said, I'm not going to talk to Simon, I'll just let Steve Hill float the idea that there could be public yeah. money, even though I believe Cobble has talked about a public-private partnership. Yeah, he's mentioned it before. I mean, he has mentioned this before. So I don't know if this was set up, and he knew Steve Hill was going to talk to Simon. He said, it's better that I stay back right. this. Right, like,
0: I didn't bring I it didn't up. I didn't say Steve anything. Steve Hill up. brought it up. Exactly. <laughs> it could be that. I, I just love the idea of, oh, we don't. We don't negotiate publicly when he he argues with people on Twitter about how much money they need in Oakland, like random people, not even like important people. He just argues with fans. All he does is publicly negotiate for money for this. What he's been doing for 18 months. That's his entire job description for 18 months now. And he's like, oh, I can't talk this time, guys. I can't negotiate publicly. I thought that was hilarious.
1: I think he probably knew what Steve Hill was going to say.
0: And I, you, you I, might and, be right. And he I might just, simply have said, you, finally, it's coming from you're somebody the guy, else.
1: Yeah, you're the guy now to talk about yeah. this. I'm not going to talk about this. Yeah. So I'd be the bad guy.
0: It was an interesting story, but I still feel like we're a, a big step or two away from actually taking it seriously. Because just saying, hey, there might be some ways to give the A's money with no actual dollar amount attached to it and no specific tax that they would increase or Introduce whatever they would do. Uh, to me, we got to have at least one of those two details before we right. even con- start make it, to take make this any seriously. kind of opinion about right. it, right? Because you remember the process to get the Raiders here. The A's would have to go through, I assume, a similar process to get this all approved, right? And there'd be, I guess, depending on what type of tax, maybe it doesn't have to go through the Nevada State Legislature, but we'll see what they do. But until we get at least one of those, until we get Steve Hill or somebody saying, you know, Las Vegas could do. $500 million. or if we get Dave Cobble saying we need $500 million, whatever that is, until we get that or a specific type of tax, it's still kind of nothing. Are you
1: saying we get to go up again to Carson City and go through those meetings? Because that was you really might. fun. That you was really fun. That, yeah. was, that was a good time. It was a
0: good time and, up in Carson City. And they City. hold them like past midnight or whatever. Yeah, that
1: was, that was a good time. Yeah,
0: You might get, get to for go those, back.
1: Waiting for those green dots to come up for the yes <laughs> votes. That was always fun.
0: <laughs> You're going back, Ed.
1: Yeah. Get was, ready. Get good. excited. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I mean, hasn't Sisolak <laughs> been on record saying there's no hunger for this? Haven't the legislature yeah. been on record? But again, like you said, we don't know what the tax is, so we don't know if it'd have to right. go through the legislature.
0: He, So Sisolak has said a couple of times, uh, the whole no appetite quote about giving more public money. He has said, like, his, his one optimistic thing was like, yeah, we could help out with um, roads and infrastructure around. So, like, if they built it at that site, by the South premium outlet malls that there's kind of not really a great interstate exit off of i fifteen he's like, yeah, we could help them and build a different exit or whatever, so that's the type of setup that that the sort about. of said, but that would be that is not what the as would want because the a's would want that plus $500, oh, $800. yeah exactly 800, they don't want
1: just a freeway right. exit
0: because that the Raiders got seven hundred right. and fifty million dollars and we're going to be changing, we're going to be upgrading those freeway exits. It hasn't even started yet, but that's supposedly... Supposed
1: Raiders will be very excited about all of this. Oh,
0: that's the one thing that would be funny if the A's came here,
1: is oh, the Raiders, Raiders having to be
0: like, what? How, how the hell did they get over here, yeah, too? Yeah, I thought we got rid of you guys. Oh,
1: the Raiders. They would not like this at all.
0: <laughs> They'd hate each other, wouldn't they?
1: Yes. It would, <laughs> n- none of that would change. None of that would change from what happened in Oakland.
0: Still telling you, the best, the best possible outcome... Is the A's come here and while their stadium's being built, they got to play at Allegiant Stadium for two years. It'd be hilarious.
1: Wouldn't the Raiders have final say? I mean,
0: they would, but come on, public stadium. It's our the A's are our team now. They got to play somewhere. That'd be that would be unbelievably hilarious. Aviators Park? No, just put them in Allegiant. They got to have more than fourteen thousand people out there. Come on.
1: (laughs) Maybe yeah. Yeah.
0: that would here. double their attendance now. You're right? What it's are you talking it's about here in Vegas? That we would triple like the baseball. attendance. Huh? That would triple the attendance. Yeah. yeah, that's true. All right. Coming up next, we will jump into the weekend of the NBA.
2: You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler.
0: Ed, who's healthy between the Celtics and I the don't Heat? Know.
1: It's just it never ends. It never ends. I've By the way, I've just given up. Except for the Warriors, I've kind of given up on the Miami Celtics series because I have no idea who's going to play well on a given night and who's going to be uh, awful.
0: No, Boston's going to win think. by thirty tonight.
1: Yes, <laughs> bet it. I don't know what the line is, but bet bet the Celtics tonight. Um, the Warriors Mavericks you know series we'll get to that's over. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I I can't for the life of me figure out. What has happened throughout these entire playoffs, not only with the injuries, but the back and forth results and the back and forth performances of these teams, especially in the Eastern Conference,
0: obviously. It's kind of been insane how many blowouts there have been the injury side of this just in game three. Jimmy Butler uh, ruled out at halftime, did not come back due to knee inflammation. Uh, He intends to play in game four, though, but missed the entire second half. Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum both left game uh, three at some point, but they both ended up returning. Smart rolled his ankle. Tatum hurt his knee. Uh, they both ended up coming back in the game, so neither one appeared to be too serious. Um, so eh, I don't really know. We've had a ton of injuries already, but I'm guessing we're getting two teams with their best players at significantly less than 100%. Yeah. You're getting, yeah. well, I mean, what's Jimmy Butler? If That's the thing about Jimmy Butler's injury that was interesting to me. They held him out of the second half of a playoff game, but he expects to play in game four. So I guess like, was it really that fine of an injury that, oh, you can't really play another 20 minutes for us, right? but you'll be fine in 48 hours to go again. That was the weird part about Jimmy Butler's injury, because normally, if you're like able to play in the playoffs, you play through it. And maybe they sat back and said, hey, we're up by 25 or whatever it was. Uh, we'll, we'll sit Jimmy Butler down because we can hold on to this 25-point lead, and they almost blew it, but we can hold on to this without Jimmy Butler. But I it th- I did think it was a little weird that it was, oh, we're going to sit him out of a second half of a playoff game, but he'll be ready to go in 48 hours.
1: If he's hurt at all, would you take the Barkley advice and not play him because they're up
0: 2-1? As in not play him
1: for game four? And- blo- just if, if he's hurt at all, if, if the doctors say one more game would make him you know, back to normal or close to normal. But if he plays, he's not going to be 100. percent And they're up two-one. They already stole home court back. Barkley well, said last night, "Don't play him."
0: Well, that's the interesting thing. Is again, we don't know the details on the injury. I, is, we have no idea he, how serious it is. Is he just going to be better in 48 hours? Like I mean, I, I don't know. Because that, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's kind know. of what they're implying by right. him missing half of a game and then coming right. back for Game Four. If he does in fact come back, but in that scenario too, if you sat him for Game Four because oh. He'll be even more ready to go in game five. Is he a hundred percent for game five? I would guess not. I would guess it's not something that, Oh, he just needs two days and he's good to go. Right. So uh, without actually knowing I would, I'd play him. I mean, I know I, I'm, I want to go up three, one and win this thing in game five in Miami. If Mm -hmm. I'm the heat, that's the way I'm looking at it. If it's two, two, I got to start all over again. I get, at least I get two of the last three at home, but I got to start over again and I got to beat, the Celtics, two out of three. Whereas if if you can find a way to get game four, now you're up 3-1 and the series is effectively. Yeah, I'm with you on
1: that because I don't think there's any way if he's not 100% now, he'd be 100% that. Right. Like, I
0: mean, if, if you knew for whatever reason that he's 80% for game four, but if you don't play him in game five, if you don't play him and let him play in game five, he's 100% in game five? Sure, absolutely. But that seems illogical. That right. doesn't seem like a realistic possibility. Maybe it's 80% for game 4 and if he doesn't play, he's 85% f- percent for, for game, game five. 4 5, which whatever. But right. no, I probably wouldn't do that. Here's what I'm curious. In game 3, which team at halftime when they come out and Jimmy Butler's not playing, which team do you think needed to win that one more? Miami who led by 20 in the first half and had a 15 point lead at halftime, or Boston who walked out and saw Jimmy Butler wasn't out there for the second half?
1: Probably Boston not to lose home court.
0: That felt like a game at half. When Butler's not out there for the second half, that felt like a game that neither team could afford to lose. Because if you're Miami, you have the big lead, and you you simply cannot just blow massive massively. You can't have a 21-point lead at the end of the first quarter and not win that game. But at the same time, if you're Boston you just got to play a half of basketball where the other team didn't have their best player. And yes, they were down 15, had to dig themselves out of a big hole, and they almost did it. But that felt like, I mean, you get to play, that might be the only half of basketball the entire series that Jimmy Butler doesn't play. And Boston couldn't win the game that that happened in. That's brutal, I think, for both teams. That, that to me, felt like a game that neither team could lose at that point because Boston had to come back at home, take a 2-1 series lead, and at the same time, Miami simply couldn't blow that big of a lead, and Boston's the one that ended yeah. up not being able to pull it out.
1: I'll tell you what, Jason Tatum better start coming back.
0: He's not very good. I mean, <laughs> I mean he is, but not yeah, recently. Not, not recently. He so only had ten points in that game, and he his quote afterwards was basically, "I can't play that bad. This is not acceptable." Right, but his shooting from three in game one, two of nine; in game three, one of seven. And he's had a ridiculous amount of turnovers: six in game one, seven in game two. Like. In their two losses, Tatum has not been able to make shots, and Tatum has given the ball away. The like two things you got to do: you got to knock down shots, and you got to prevent turnovers. And in both games, he's been awful in both categories. In both losses, and yeah, in both losses, and that's—I mean, five days ago, both of us came on here and said he's the best player left in the postseason. (laughs) Well, I think five days ago he was. Yeah, and. He's got to play like that because they've, I mean, they've, again, they've got to win three of the last uh, four here against Miami to advance to the NBA finals. And I don't think it happens unless Jason Tatum is the best player in the series. If he's the best player in the series, the Boston Celtics go to the NBA finals. If he plays like that twice again, he can afford one more because they can lose one more game. He can afford one more. But if he plays like that, 10 points, three of 14 shooting, seven turnovers, they don't have a shot. They're going home.
1: Man, are we still saying Miami's not good enough? (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I agree. Celtics and six.
1: And I keep saying, which one can beat the Warriors?
0: Uh, I'm very fascinated to see. Because, okay, to to conflate Miami and Boston in the sort of a similar team where they're really good defensively and really deep, I'm fascinated to see the Golden State Warriors against one of those two teams defensively. Because... Dallas is fine. Like, they're they're a good defensive team. I think they were seventh in defensive rating in the regular season. But they're not like, oh, that's one of the best in the league. And they have a significant weak spot with Luka every time he's on the floor. Miami and Boston don't have that. And I'm curious to see Golden State against one of those defenses. Because here's the thing. When the Warriors were the best team in the NBA and had their small dynasty run, it did not matter what the other team's defense was; they were they were going to be the best offense on the floor. I don't know; they're not at that same level. They're not as good as they were when they won three out of four years. No. But they're still yeah. really good, and there's still, really still five minute stretches right. where they look a lot as like we saw that last team last night. And th- I'm curious to see: do they still have those five minute stretches against Boston or Miami's defense? Oh, well, they certainly do against Dallas, right? Or are those defenses significantly better? Than Dallas right. and, every, and Memphis and everybody and Denver else. Denver and State's the other people played. that
1: they've eliminated.
0: Are those defenses significantly better that it, it creates enough down uh, stretches for Golden State's offense that they can't win the series? That's what I'm fascinated to see next round um, because Golden State is good, but not as good as we saw. Them well, they're not. When they were ago. winning
1: three titles, that isn't right.
0: these seems. So if, that, if it was that team, I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter what Boston right. and Miami do, they're going to blow them out. But because they're not quite as good, I I am curious to see how much that defense affects them. Because Golden State does have they have more they have a lower floor, I think is the main thing than they used to have. Like their bad yes. games are they have. Well, bad we saw models. against Memphis. They got beat by what like fifty, 50. in yeah. one of those games. Yeah, how'd that happen? By the way, we're gonna look back at the NBA champion Golden State and Warriors I don't, and John ja wasn't even playing. Right, lost a game to the ja Morantless Memphis by Grizzlies, fifty plus by fifty, and, we're and gonna they'll like, win the title. We'll be like, what happened there? <laughs> How how? I didn't make any sense. Coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. We're back to the Press Box morning show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. How are you?
2: Not too bad, guys. Happy Monday. Yes.
0: <laughs> um all right, who's the coach gonna be? You got an answer for us yet?
2: I don't. I think Barry Tross is still taking a sweet time enjoying all the uh, lovely perks of being wine and dine, which hey. I don't blame him. So I'm guessing until that domino falls, we're not going to see a lot of movement on the coaching front.
0: Wait, what if Barry Trotz doesn't take a job and he's just interviewing for all these and getting free dinners out of it? <laughs> yes.
2: I would respect it. I respect <laughs> the hustle. I would respect it. There's been rumors, like I said before, too, that he might want to take a front office job as well. So I would love it if he makes oh. the tour, goes to Philly, gets the cheesesteaks, <laughs> gets whatever they have in Winnipeg, comes here and is like, you know what, guys? I actually want to kick it upstairs. Seems like a better gig. Well. You know, good best of luck to all of you.
1: Yeah, if that's the case here, you might as well not come to Las Vegas for the interview, except for unless he's getting the (laughs) cheesecake, because we know uh, upstairs like their positions, Benjamin. They like being in charge. Hey, who can blame them? (laughs) That's true. Uh, All right, I want to ask you, we're going to get into some of these other series now. You are our hockey expert. Um, I know there's a lot of talent. This might sound like a crazy question. They're up 3-0 on the Panthers. But give us some other reasons why Tampa Bay is able to do this. Why are they continuing continue to able to do this in these playoffs? And I know they have talent. I get that. That's the easy answer. But is there something about Tampa Bay that just everyone else doesn't have? Is it confidence because they've won two straight? Like, what about them makes them special?
2: Yeah, I think what's so impressive about Tampa is just this unbelievable um, commitment this team has to playing team defense, doing all of, you know, the coach's cliches like, little things that help make a team successful, but they're doing this after winning nine straight playoff series are one win away from winning their 10th. I think everyone would be like, look, Steven Stamkos, you've had an unbelievable amount of injuries in your career. You've won two straight Stanley cups as a captain. Everyone would like be fine if the Tampa Bay lightning were, you know, just had like a titch less kind of seriousness about these playoffs or thought they were playing with house money or whatever. Instead, in Game Two, you've got multiple shots of Stamco limping to the bench because he's blocked shots, and then the same thing happens with Brandon Hagel throughout these series. Eric Chernack one of their defensemen, is like hobbling back to the bench. Obviously, we've got Braden Point, their number one center, has been out this entire series, and they're still putting up goals, going up three nothing on the Panthers. That's what's just impressive to me of like the willingness and commitment that the Lightning have. Uh, even though they've won basically everything, I think everyone would be forgive them if they were kind of coasting on their success at this point, but they're not. They are still absolutely dialed in. I think defensively they've been awesome this series. They're not giving up anything on the rush. They finally allowed a power play goal yesterday to Florida, but for the most part their penalty kill has been outstanding this series, and that's made life really easy on Andre Vasilevsky in net who does not need a lot of help in general, but he had a, you know, for him, not very good series against Toronto. He's been unbelievable against Florida. So you put up the defensive commitment, this team somehow uh, still has this far into their run. Awesome goaltending, great coaching from John Cooper behind the bench. And it's really impressive to me how this team keeps kind of willing itself to victory when everyone would be giving them a pass if they were kind of handing the torch off to a, younger Florida team at this point in their kind of life cycle as a team.
0: If you're the coach of a team late in the season and you are in first place, you're going to win the president's trophy, do you tank out the last five or six games to make sure you don't win the president's trophy?
2: It's a good question. I do know because I actually posed this question a couple of years ago when the Knights were battling for the president's trophy. Your odds are still technically like the best to win the Stanley Cup if you win the president's trophy. But by best, I mean it's like 16% or something. Obviously, any like individual team's odds of winning the Stanley Cup are just not that high because the gaps between teams are just not that big. So in these seven-game series that can be swung by a play here or there, it's just hard for any one team to kind of make it all the way. And we've seen that, obviously, in previous years with Colorado last year. I had a very good team. Lost a kind of tightly contested playoff series. To the night now, I think it'd be pretty embarrassing for Florida to get swept off by, you know, in-state rival, yet again here. But I think they'll be happy having the President's Trophy, winning their first playoff series since 1996. It's good that this year's team, you know, accomplished those things. But it's going to be real empty, a real empty feeling if this kind of Florida team that was supposed to be this young, skilled, on the rise club. Get absolutely smoked by the defending defending champions, who still somehow are playing tighter team defense and just look hungrier uh, than this Panther squad. That, like I said, hasn't even advanced to the second round in twenty plus years. It's crazy.
1: Is John Cooper just better than everyone else?
2: He's unbelievable. Uh, I think the way. That he coaxes obviously these kind of committed performances from his stars. It's great. Like I said, Steven Stamkos absolutely bought in. The way that he gets this team to play defense is unbelievable, and just the way that he motivates guys just seems incredibly impressive. Um, I know you know some of these shows aren't exactly indicative of what it's actually like to be around these guys day to day, but anyone who watches kind of the usual ESPN produced Stanley Cup playoff documentary quest for the Stanley Cup. If you watched a couple John Cooper locker room speeches, I don't know how you're not ready to run through a wall for this guy. And even he had a press conference before Game 7 against Toronto where he said something to the effect of, you know, he got asked, uh, hey, John, does it make it easier on your team knowing that you're coming to this Game 7, with back-to-back Stanley Cup wins? Is there more pressure on Toronto because they haven't been out of the first round in forever? And Cooper was like, that's BS. The door to success is right there why wouldn't we just run right through it? And I was like, yes, John Cooper, I'm ready to lace him up. Let's go. I'm ready to run some guys through the boards." That's just kind of the guy that he seems to be when it comes to, especially this time of year. And I think during the regular season, he does a good job where he's not all pedal to the metal. He's not necessarily gunning for that president's trophy. He knows to kind of let this veteran team have some slack a little bit and then dial it back up. Uh, in the playoffs, but I don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a coach he is. Obviously, he was not a Jack Adams finalist, and I think just based on the fact that it's not like the Lightning had an outstanding year uh, by their standards, I get why he wasn't, but I do think it's a shame that he doesn't have at least one of those awards in his home already because he keeps showing how great of a coach he is.
0: Would you rather play for John Cooper or Gerard Gallant, who's yelling bleep you at the other (laughs) team's players?
2: So, I would say, I'm going to probably, I think I respond to Cooper more, but I know our colleague David Shade would love, love, love to play for Gerard DeLay. We've talked about this a lot where Dave would just absolutely get fired up to play for that guy. And I get it. How could you not? It's just absolutely fantastic as he's chirping at Tony D'Angelo when the two of them are kind of heading off the ice after the New York Rangers win in game three yesterday. And the best part is that. Gerard Gallant, uh, and I love this about it, is that he didn't, like, ignore it or pretend it didn't happen in his post-game press conference. He kept going. He was like, hey, if they want to keep doing some of that BS, we've got a guy on our bench that can take care of it, basically being like, hey, I've got a Ryan Reeves, so you better shut up over there. Uh, It's just incredible. I love the honesty. I love the emotion that he brings to the ice. I totally get why. Uh, guys in New York, I think, clearly enjoy playing for him. Obviously, a lot of the Knights players love playing for him. And so it's cool to see that translating to success with another team.
1: Can they come back and win?
2: The Rangers is going to be tough only because the Carolina Hurricanes are undefeated at home and they still have home ice advantage. It is one of the most baffling parts of the Stanley Cup playoffs to me. Uh, Carolina is 6-0 and at home. 0-4 on the road. So by my math, they still have two home games remaining, and that's all the Hurricanes need uh, to win this series. Uh, but uh, I do like Carolina still. I think they are the better 5-on-5 team. I like their uh, defense and their blue line a lot better. The Rangers have so much you know, high-skilled talent, but they still worry me as a team that's too reliant on their special teams. Their goaltending, uh, which was not very good, in the first round against the Pittsburgh Penguins, has picked up Igor Shuster could looks more like his regular season self. But I think ultimately Carolina is going to be a little bit too deep for the New York Rangers to handle. Uh, but who knows? They keep surprising, I think, a lot of people in the regular season and then in the postseason as well, even though they beat, for the most part, a third string goaltender in Louis Domingue. But I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the upset either. I just still think Carolina is the justified favorite.
0: They're up 2-1 in this series now. Do you actually believe
2: in the Oilers? I'm starting to. I'm starting to be concerned that Daryl Sutter forgot who Connor McDavid is <laughs> because he has just been on this unbelievable, ridiculous playoff tear. And from what I like watched yesterday, it felt like the Flames weren't paying enough attention to him, which seems odd, especially considering he's on a super line. Uh, with Leon Dreisaitl and Evander Kane. Now, McDavid's just, like, gone nuclear in these playoffs. It's unbelievable. He's leading everyone in points. He's got 23 in 10 games. That is literally, like, Wayne Gretzky-type numbers. Only Wayne Gretzky has had that kind of point-per-game output in the playoffs, by the way, in an era where it was much easier to score. Leon Dreisaitl's number two. Evander Kane's leading the entire postseason with 10 goals. So what do the Flames do against that line last night? They gave McDavid oodles of space to roam around the offensive zone and in the neutral zone. The amount of uncontested zone entries that McDavid had where he just skated across the offensive blue line was unbelievable to me. Uh, Pete DeVore, obviously now ex-Nights coach, but a guy who actually had a lot of success defending, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, always said you can either step to those guys or you can – Back off those guys, and his philosophy was always it's better to step on those guys, take away their time and space at the blue line, kind of be more aggressive and risk them getting behind you than just giving them room to operate because they're going to find a way to make you pay. And right now it seems to me like the claims they're giving or taking the give-them-space approach, and it's absolutely burning them. That one line just completely dominated uh, Game 3. They were obviously incredible in game two, and I am shocked that the Flames are allowing five goals a game in this series, and it's not so hard to figure out why. Uh, Connor McDavid is just absolutely willing his team to victory. It's unbelievable to watch, but I think the Flames also need a serious strategy shakeup.
1: Finally, was Jordan Bennington correct in throwing a water bottle at Cadre, and also (laughs) now that he's out for the series, this thing goes quickly, doesn't it?
2: I think it goes quickly. I don't have a lot of faith in Billy Husto to keep the St. Louis Blues alive. Uh, I will defer to the judgment of uh, former Knights analyst Mike McKenna. He wrote up actually a piece on daily Faceoff that uh, I read over the weekend because I was kind of, you know, trying to work through my thoughts on it. Uh, McKenna's analysis basically, you know, the play where Kadri uh, had a Blues defenseman crashing and Jordan Bennington injuring him and putting him out for the rest of the series was not a. Uh, Mike McKenna's clear. It was not a penalty. It was not called a penalty event uh, or Nazem Kadri will not face any supplemental discipline from the NHL for this play. So he's like nothing, you know, technically out of the rules in terms of this hit in front of the net, because he's battling with a defense and for a loose puck crashes into the goaltender. Unfortunate injury happens during Bennington. But the point was like, it also wasn't like not, not intentional for Nazem Kadri to get into that kind of battle because Darcy Kemper had gotten nudged earlier in the game. Josh Manson gotten pulverized into the boards behind the Colorado net early in the game. I believe he is now out for the postseason with a broken sternum. So the avalanche had gotten roughed up a bit earlier in the game. I think Kadri, at least in the back of his head was thinking I have to respond in some way. And so I'm going to maybe extend my liberties a little bit and get into this battle that I think will lead me into the goaltender, not necessarily intending to injure Bennington. I don't think that was his point at all. I think he just wanted to, you know, send a message a little bit to the Blues net of like, you know, we can go tit for tat here. I don't think you want to do that. Let's kind of maybe calm it down a bit. And it said, obviously, it all escalates because now Bennington is out for the rest of the series and was clearly upset, obviously, throwing a water bottle because he had been unbelievable since taking over midway through that Minnesota series, who's a big reason why the Blues were able to kind of turn the tides there and get to the second round. And now the fact that he's out might be the reason the Blues exit this postseason. So I get why Bennington would be upset. I don't think it was necessary for Kadri to kind of you know engage in that battle that ultimately led to the collision with Bennington. I don't think it was a penalty or necessarily a completely out-of-bounds play. But I also think he at least knew a little bit of what he was doing even if the intent and or the goal wasn't to actually injure Bennington or knock him out for the series
0: all right Ben thank you so much for joining us thanks Ben we appreciate it yeah no problem guys happy to do it take care there is Ben goats from the Las Vegas review Journal on the NHL playoffs um you think Ben who but will Ben throw a water bottle at you the next time he sees you
1: no he's too nice a guy too nice yeah, okay. he's the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet
0: who who are you throwing a water bottle at Adam Hill
1: that's a good start.
0: <laughs> Coming up next, Are the Mavericks season already over.
2: It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Can you believe
0: the best dunk of the postseason was almost ruined. ruined by an offensive foul ball?
1: Uh Not surprising because Luca appeared to get hit in the face, or at least he tried for everyone to believe he got hit in the face. That was awesome, Did by the way. Did a good way. job of that. Luca. He, he sold it, man. He sold that well. I gotta be honest.
0: What a what a dunk. So the Golden State Warriors right now, Steph Curry at 31 in that game. They obviously have Steph Curry. Klay Thompson, who hasn't exactly been prime Clay Thompson, but Klay Thompson, still very good. And I think it it wouldn't surprise anybody if Klay Thompson had a forty-point game in the playoffs here. We've seen and talked about Jordan Poole quite a bit. Obviously, he has some ups and downs, but Jordan Poole, very good. And now all of a sudden, Andrew Wiggins can go for 27 points and get 11 rebounds? Like, we kind of talked about it earlier and how they might match up with Boston and Miami defensively. Does this team just simply have too much firepower? I mean,
1: Poole, Wiggins, now Wiggins, yeah. I mean, what's Wiggins, the fourth best player in that team?
0: Fifth, probably. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when
1: he's going for 27, Uh, You might not have a chance
0: (laughs) unless he's the only one going. Yeah, but he's not the only one going for 27. And so it's we're in a this season is different from like the previous 10 whatever seasons of basketball where usually you had to have a legitimate big two and a lot of times a legitimate big three where it was like, all right, the important thing in the NBA is to have the two or three best players you can get on the floor and then try to go win the NBA title that way your depth eh, whatever, just have some guys that can shoot and play defense and you'll be fine. This year, it's it's not like that. We don't really, none of these teams left, like truly have like a legit, oh, that's a big three, right? There's a lot more depth throughout these playoff teams with really the exception of Dallas there. And because of that, this goal, we, we're going to have Golden State in the finals up three, nothing Dallas isn't coming back. We're gonna have Golden State in the finals and they're going to be playing another team that's also pretty deep, whether it's Boston or Miami, because both teams are are pretty deep. It's going to be interesting where we have a finals where there's no real big 3 on either side but there's also not really going to be a lot of weak links. Right. Right? You're not going to have like, oh, that guy probably shouldn't be on the floor. They can really exploit that guy cuz he can't defend or whatever. It's going to be I mean, hell, we talked about it. Victor Oladipo is just Miami's like, yeah, when Kyle Lowry's hurt, Oladipo's going to play 27 minutes. Guy averaged like 20-something a game and had the Pacers like the five seed. Like He finally had ago. a big game, by the way. Yeah, he did. He had 40-something in the last regular season game of the year, and then it was like, oh, we're healthy, so Oladipo's going to come off right. the bench. And yeah, he's Victor Oladipo. He's really good. Did you see Jason Kidd's quote after the game? No. Where he was like, this is more than about one game or one series because none of you guys had us playing this far. Oh no! He's already resigned to losing the the series and throwing in like the hey. That's the media's fault? Nobody picked us to go this far. He's not not respect. No, he's saying like we've overachieved, so it's perfectly fine if we get swept. He's already said he's. They've basically already said they've lost the series, which they have. But I don't think you want your coach saying that when the series isn't actually over. But he's basically saying, pat us on the back because we weren't supposed to get this far. Thank you very much. I think that's what he's telling Mark Cuban probably well and, and Dirk Nowitzki Mark Cuban's probably thrilled I probably and that's here's the thing that's a perfectly fair outlook if they get swept in this series we're not going to look back and think oh the Warriors blew it and they weren't supposed the to Mavericks be this blew it, yeah it's just funny to hear that from the coach when the series isn't even over yet right. like you could win four in a row it's possible not likely but not possible really.